You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. I love stories. I love stories. I think stories have a lot of power. I want to tell you a quick story real quick, but first I want to ask a question. Has anyone ever been a victim of identity theft? Has anyone ever had a kind of the fraudulent call, you know, a fraud line, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like your bank calls you, stuff like that. I want to tell you a quick story of that. You know, it can make you mad, make you angry, can make me feel violated, but surely it kind of gives you a headache, right, of all the stuff that you now have to, I got a call, I got to cancel the card. You know what I'm talking about. It's a pain. We used to live in Arkansas, and I was on the way into a Mongolian restaurant. I was in the way to a Mongolian restaurant. My phone rings, and it's my bank. My bank says, uh, hi, Mr. Barton. I just want to confirm, did you just charge $10,000 in Bangor, Maine? Did you just charge $10,000 in Bangor, Maine? I've never been north of North Carolina, and I, I don't know what you know about uh, the finances involved with uh, living a minister's life or a pastor's life. It's not a lucrative, you know, I don't got 10 G's just flying around out there. So, you know, I was like, not me. They're like, okay, we'll figure it out and cancel it. So, what was happening to me in a roundabout way is kind of what's happening to Paul in this text. His identity is being called into question. What Paul, what, who Paul is, is, is being tarnished. His reputation is being uh, misaligned with who he was and who he now is. You know, some have heard of his conversion through word of mouth, but chances are Paul's personal story that we read, he touches on here in Galatians 1, was the instrument God used to show people the transformation that God had made in his life. Today's text is a continuation of what Pastor Adam uh, opened up for us in Galatians chapter 1. He did a great job last week uh, laying the framework of Paul's letter. And so if you weren't with us last week, I just want to do clip through just a, a few kind of review of where we're at so far. So unlike his other writings here in Galatians, Paul, he doesn't offer his, his pleasantries at the beginning aren't the same in Galatians as they are. He doesn't have a prayer. He doesn't have a, any greetings. He gets straight to business. The reason he gets straight to business was the severity at which he is writing this letter to the Galatians. It's demonstrating how serious of the matter at hand was. As we read in the first few verses, it says he was astonished. In the Greek, this word could also be translated amazed, stunned. In this context, it's more of a negative connotation, kind of meaning appalled by. Paul uses this word kind of astonished or amazed two other times in the New Testament. One of them, he is talking about how he is appalled, he's amazed at how Satan can lure people out of the light into darkness by masquerading as a child of light. In another way, he is amazed, he's stunned by the fact that Jesus is coming back in excitement. The Galatians upset Paul. This is where we're at today. They upset him because they are believing something he never said. Ever been there? Whenever we add anything to faith for salvation, we inevitably neglect faith. It's by grace alone, 
through faith alone and Christ alone. This is the basis, this is the foundation of our faith, this is what we stand, and we hope as pastors that if at any point we start preaching something contrary to in Christ alone, by faith, by grace, through faith in Christ alone, that you would leave. Because this is the hallmark, this is the cornerstone of the church, not only Mercy's Door, but universal. So again, in recap, after his visit here to the church in, uh, in Galatia, there were professing, professing Jewish Christians, these are called Judaizers, that were coming in behind his work and manipulating or distorting what Paul had taught and discipled into that church. That the true gospel that Paul laid out for the church, they were subverting what he had said. So this is just the sidebar. I was in an apologetics class one time, and it was a bit of a Q&A, and uh, the question came about, how, he asked the, asked the professor, how is, how do we, um, how do we prove false religions to be false? That was a good question. And you know what he said? It was like a simple answer. He said, really the only way to do that is to prove Christianity true. The best way to prove false gospels, false religion, is to prove the truth in Christianity. Jesus tells us he's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. The Jewish Christians still from centuries of traditions and a system of life, they couldn't resign themselves to the fact that a man who died on a cross in a shameful way, who was despised, who was rejected, who ate with sinners, who dined with criminals, who died with criminals, was at the very epicenter of the gospel of grace and that he was enough. At the end of the day, what these Judaizers couldn't get behind was that Jesus was enough for salvation. This is where we get the term legalism. Legalism, very simply put, is that you are accepted by God by following rules. By what you do, what you achieve, is how you gain access or you achieve salvation. And we can understand Paul's pain here in writing so boldly about the law, in law, in love, I'm sorry, and in concern for the Galatians, is to add anything to the gospel is to deny the gospel. Adding anything to Christ's finished work on our behalf negates the gospel. So Paul is um, not happy. John MacArthur puts it like this. He says, There is no such thing as a small variation of the gospel. If there is any contribution you make to the saving work of God, then Christ is useless to you. Paul Washer puts it this way, if salvation was 99.99% Jesus and 0.01% us, we would all be damned. This is serious. Paul isn't beating around the bush. He's going right after the fact of what the Galatians are into, and it's not good. They're distorting the truth of the gospel. And that's a very serious matter. From, from last week, verse 8, Paul says, He who teaches Jesus' work is not enough. Anyone who te- comes to us preaching a gospel other than what I proclaimed, that teacher is cursed. Cursed. It's not a, well, he needs to do better. It's, no, he's cursed. 
there's a level of severity here in Paul's words that are, that's needed. So, the overarching theme is a long review, I admit. The overarching theme of Galatians here is, as we see the richness in this book, of Paul is unpacking the doctrine of grace. Sometimes the book of Galatians in history has been called the manifesto of Christian liberty. It's also been called the cornerstone of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. So as Paul is trying to right the wrongs and, and admonish and, and rebuke the church in Galatia with, with his words and helping them see like, no, 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 what you are now believing is not what I told you. It's not what I left you with. It's not what I discipled into you. He's being attacked in his character. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? His identity is being called into question. And so in this verse, in this section that we're looking at today, we're going to look at uh, Paul's life. Uh, he, he lays it out. It's a very autobiographical here. He's looking at his life before he encountered Christ. He's looking at his life at the moment that Christ broke in. And then and lastly, he's looking at his life after Christ. What happened after Christ? So I broke it into four sections kind of in my mind, and we're going we're to clip through them. But as we hit these four sections in your Bible, I'd like for you to just highlight or underline these specific words. These are going to be like the headers of each section, and I'll tell you as we get to them. The first of which, go ahead and underline not man's gospel. Verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. The NIV says, not something man made up. Verse 12, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. A couple things to remember for us today. The gospel is not according to man. It's not from man, it wasn't conceived by man, it wasn't concocted by man. It has no origination in man, this is from God, and therefore, it's powerful. The Word of God is powerful. There's one, um, one preacher, teacher, he says it like this, kind of comically, he says, you know, uh, I believe in the Big Bang. He says, I believe that when God opened his mouth and said, let there be light, there was a big bang. God's word in creating the universe, he spoke it into existence. That's power. When Jesus looks at dead and says, come back to life, that's power. When he looks at nature and tells it to do what it's supposed to do, storm, stop, that's power. There's power in his words. Romans 1, 16 says the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. God speaks, it's powerful. He starts the letter, Paul, uh, I'm going back up, can I, can I retrace your steps in Galatians, verses 4 and 5. He summarizes the gospel. He says, grace to you and peace from God. And listen, listen to the kind of subjects here. Of our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a great summary of what God has done in the gospel because we aren't in it. We did nothing except receive grace and receive peace. This is not man's gospel. What we've, we've already spent time unpacking this morning and, and what the message of the gospel was, he's, 
Paul is starting off with the authority of which he's getting this message. It's not from me. I didn't sit under teaching. I didn't sit under, I didn't sit in, under any other cohorts. I, I wasn't brought this by someone else. I got this from God. This is not of man. He wasn't taught it, but received it through Jesus' lips. This is revelation. Not the book of revelation. This is divine revelation. Divine revelation. An author that I really like, is a, he's, a, um, he's the uh, professor of Christian theology at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City. He, he wrote a, an essay uh, on uh, the inspiration, or I'm sorry, on revelation. And he quotes a lot of, uh, from this old book called Revelation and Inspiration. And I just want to share, as we want to touch on revelation real quick. He says, divine revelation, which is a remarkable and gracious gift of God. God's re- God revealing himself to us. That in itself is a remarkable gift. Think of the, the pagan gods. Think of the, the religion, the faith of, of other uh, of other religions, whether it's the Baals or, or Zeus or um, anything else, there's a, there's, a, there's a fear. There's a wonder. Is, is, is God going to show up? Is, is the sun going to come up if we worship the sun God? Is the rain going to fall? I, I, we don't know. The revelation of those gods is unknown, but God has revealed himself to man. The supreme deity in our faith has come and initiated to man. That's good news. It's good news. This gift is in both general and special ways, Barrett says. He says, in general revelation is given to everyone everywhere in what it says about God. This kind of divine revelation is found in creation and in the conscience of men. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glories of God. We are all without excuse to know that there is God just through general revelation of his creation. But then Barrett also goes on to say there's special revelation. On the other hand, it's specific in its content and omnipotent in its effect. Through his revelation, through this revelation, God communicates the mysteries of the faith and personal knowledge of Christ to his people. Scripture is the written form of special revelation, providing God's people with an enduring witness to the work of God in Christ. Second Timothy chapter three tells us that the word of God is breathed, all scripture is breathed out by God. The word of God, this is our special revelation. To us, this is a gift. This is a gift unto us. Now Paul, he received personal divine revelation face to face from the lips of Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel through the God-man. The truth of the gospel through the man who provided the gospel, Jesus. He was revealed. He did not, Paul did not receive this second hand. Now, although we, Christian Although we did not receive this gospel uh, face-to-face from the lips of Jesus, outwardly, in a dramatic sense that Paul had uh, on the Damascus Road, as you can read in Acts chapter 9, this, this incredible story that happens through Paul outwardly happens to us inwardly. 
We are revealed Christ as Christ makes himself known to us through the power of his gospel is the same thing that happened to Paul. It just happens to us inwardly. So Paul willingly lays out his autobiography to prove it. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former life. Underline that. Highlight that. You have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Quick recap on Paul's former life. He was climbing the ladder, so to speak, in Judaism. He was progressing at a clip much faster than people his own age. He was a zealot. He was an extremist. He was so radical of a proponent of the way of Judaism that he was given more responsibilities uh, to carry out in the, by the course, uh, by his leaders. As mentioned before, we can see examples of this in Acts, of formerly Saul, right? Saul. And so if they needed something to get done, they gave it to him. They gave it to him. He was extremely zealous. I read a number of uh, resources on Paul's former life, and so I kind of compiled a list of some of the, 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 the bullet points. I just want to read them to you. These are a list of things he'd done or what was said about him. In other words, he was a persecutor of Jesus' followers. Violence was his tool. His life was a direct opposition to that of Jesus. He was a destroyer of faith. He imprisoned followers of Christ, and he even killed Christians. Uh, one of his tacts was he would force followers of Christ to share what they believed about Jesus so that he would therefore have a firsthand um, uh, first-hand proof of their heresy, and then therefore by Jewish law, he had the right to kill them. So he was very subversive and very violent. And if I would be so bold as to say this, Paul was, it was a Hitler in the making. He was very violent, he was extreme, and he was going in a very specific direction. One commentator puts it like this. Paul's main point here was to show that there was nothing in his background in life before Christ that could have in any way prepared him for a positive response to the gospel. Paul's purpose in sharing his former life was to prove to them, if I'm making this up, why in the world would I tell you who I was? Why would I drudge up some of those skeletons in the closet? Why? They, Paul can defend his authenticity by coming back to this. And so, another quick story. I was a, a, as a young Christian and I was down in Florida on a, um, a leadership development project. And me and we had some off time, and so me and some friends, we went to a movie, and we were at the movie, and um, there was a there was an elderly man sitting on a bench, and I just, I, I don't know what about it made me want to go up to him and talk to him, and I just felt like I, I, I don't know, went up and talked to him, and we got to talking, I introduced myself, and uh, told him what I was down there for, and I, I shared with him, I asked, hey, are you interested in spiritual things? You know, I just kind of struck up a conversation about spiritual matters and whatnot, and we get to talking, and this man had been walking with the Lord for 60 years, okay? It's incredible. And he said, young man, I have one thing to tell you, one thing, if you don't mind me sharing this with you. He said, he said, you know, Satan, 
He's always trying to remind you of your past. But in those moments, you need to remind him of his future. I was like, oh, where, where are your sermons at, sir? You know, can I listen to anything else you have to say? Right? This is incredible, but this truth of our past, his former life, right? Cancel culture isn't new. It's not new. What Paul is doing, our former life, similar to Paul, in a way, it should be our boast. In a way, when we are open and honest and vulnerable about who we were, further glorifies, further shines light on the power of the gospel. It shows God in great light when you admit who you were, right? All of those things, all of those things were right about me. But my God did something about it. My God was willing, while I was yet a sinner, to die for me, to sacrifice His Son on my behalf, to make right what I couldn't make right. All those things, who I was, that's true. But it's not who I am because of God. This is the beauty of the Gospel. Paul is teeing up 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, if anyone... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The Greek, a new creature. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Paul's life was going full speed in one direction. So how then could it change so fast? Let's read on. Verse 15. Underline it. But when he... But when God, how can someone's life change so drastically? But when God. But when He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. But when God. God. This is our testimony. This is our story. And this is Paul's story. What totally and fundamentally changed Paul was God revealing himself to him. God took the initiative to Paul. If you're in Christ, in here, God took the initiative in your life to reveal himself to you. It's a simple way of showing this intricate truth intricate truth of the gospel that we had nothing to do with it when Paul says in before I was born an unborn child in my mother's womb God saw fit he was pleased to call me what does an unborn child how can an unborn child achieve anything how reliant how dependent they are this is a truth of the gospel it pleased him. And that Paul says that it, it, it accompanied purpose. It's interesting how Paul is so open about sharing how much he'd been saved from because he saw the goodness and splendor on the other side. R.C. Sproul, he says it like this. A true understanding of grace 
that's of God's unmerited favor, always provokes a life of gratitude and obedience. This internal miracle is the same thing that happens to us, church. What happened to Paul, what, when he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, this beautiful, dramatic picture of him being blinded and all of the things he was living for, all his entire way of life, in an instant, changed. It's incredible. At this moment of conversion, he, uh, this is Paul, he, he points out, he didn't go to talk to others. He didn't go get with the other apostles to make sure this, was, this message was straight. He didn't do that. His effort was to prove that he did not get this gospel from anyone but from the lips of Christ. That's his purpose in saying that. It says in the next verse, but after three years, and so there's uh, obviously speculation of what's going on in these three years, but it's safe to say that he, what was he doing in these three years? But he was with Jesus. He was receiving from Jesus. Some, some speculate that, you know, why three years? And, and, but some say that, well, uh, the other apostles, how long did they have with Jesus in, their, in his earthly ministry? Three years. So Paul was afforded the same amount of time. He wanted to be abundantly clear that what he got from Jesus was unaltered and pure. He continues on with his story, his identity story here in verse 18 through the end. 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. James, at this point, was leading the church in Jerusalem. He, none other than except James, the Lord's brother. Verse 20, and what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. The, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Underline this, highlight this. And they glorified God because of me. They glorified God. Only after being with Jesus did he go back to Jerusalem. He tried to visit Peter. He was successful and visited him for 15 days. He likely tried to visit with the other apostles, but probably they were fearful of him because of his reputation, because of who he was, who he had been, and didn't want to chance it that this guy might you know, get a wild hair and turn back to his, his old ways. But he visited James. And again, he did not collude with any of the other apostles. He is, he's laying out his autobiography of what happened at this point of conversion. He shares who he was before. He's reminding them of who he was, what happened at the encounter when he met Jesus for the first time and was revealed the good news of the gospel, and now what happened after. He didn't run off to get further teaching from the apostles who had been with him, who had been with Jesus in his earthly ministry. No, he went into Arabia. He went to be with Jesus. He did not reveal himself anywhere uh, in Jerusalem. He didn't collude. He didn't need validation from the other apostles. He was acting like an apostle before he contacted the other apostles. Okay, I think there's a sidebar here. Jesus' 
mark on your life, who Jesus says you are, is all you need. You are who God says you are. Not in who you say you are, or not in what others say you are, or what your job says you are. Your identity, who you are, your security is not ultimately in anything here. But it is of God. It is what He says you are. Not who you say you are, who others say you are. Verse 20, you can almost like hear, his, hear Him in His voice. He, in, in the ESV, it's in parentheses. It's like, guys, I'm telling the truth. You know? Guys, like, what are my motives here? Some people believed his motives were uh, because he had been such a zealot, so extreme in his beliefs that he's now kind of acting like a politician, trying to gain popularity, trying to um, uh, kind of build a better reputation back, right? And some of these Judaizers were thinking, well, there's no way he should be, he should be doing this, should be living this way. It's, he's just trying to make it easier for these Christians that is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone surely there's more again I remind you there is no variation to the gospel there is the the smallest deviation is not the gospel it says he went into regions of Syria and Cilicia I don't know about your geography uh, of the time I looked up what this was and this is pretty interesting that this region was Tarsus. This region of Syria and Cilicia was Tarsus. And why is that important? Because before he was renamed Paul by Jesus, his name was Saul. And he was often referred to as Saul of Tarsus. He was going home. He went home. He went home. Verse 22. I wasn't known to them. These people didn't know me from Adam. They hadn't met me. They had only heard of what I was preaching, who I was before and who I used to be. But then, now they saw who I was and what I was doing and what I was proclaiming. Why this drastic shift? Why this crazy 180 from this man? Their only logical response and our only logical response when we're faced with something so drastic, so dramatic They glorified God. They glorified God because of Him. Only the power, only a holy God can uproot the life of someone that is so headstrong in one direction. This isn't a phase. This wasn't a fad. This is something that drastically changed Paul's life. And for those of us who are in Christ and here, that's what happened to you. Now, not perfectly, but your life was going a certain way. But God intervened by the power of His grace in Jesus Christ and changed who you are. You don't like the same things anymore, do you? You don't listen to the same stuff. You don't hang out with the same people sometimes. You, don't, you now go to this thing where people gather on Sunday mornings in a blue-floored gym. Why? Because God has changed you. God has reoriented your life by His power and His goodness. One commentator summarizes this section. He says this, 
this section, verses 11 through 24, help us to appreciate how convincing God's revelation on Damascus Road was to Paul. He not only repented concerning the person of Christ, he was now no longer in direct opposition to him, but he also received an absolutely clear revelation, both of his calling in life and his message. He began to preach the gospel immediately without authorization to do so from any other leaders of the church. We too, church, have an equally clear revelation of our calling and our message. If you're waiting for Pastor Adam or Pastor Dude or Pastor Mike or me or someone else in your past who is a spiritual mentor, if you're waiting for them to give you permission to go live out your mission for Christ, stop. Go do it. Christ has given you authority by his power and his word. That is so much better than any authority I could give you, or Pastor Adam, or any of us could give. This is our mission. This is the mission of the church, and this mission this story, Paul's story, our story, it's really not our story, it's God's story, right? And again, amen. Yeah, this is God's story from the inception, from the beginning. It's his overarching story throughout Scripture of him redeeming a people for himself, bringing a people back into relationship, bringing them back into the former, recreating what was broken Paul's story, it's not his story, rather God's story, is the same story that for generations has been happening to people all over the world. It's happening today. It's happening in Mascuda and on Scott Air Force Base. And it's happening at your next PCS duty station. And it's happening at your work. And it's happening in your family. It's happening. Why? Why is this, these words, the simple words of the gospel, why are they doing something? It's just words, right? Why? It's because they're carrying power that you don't have. You with me? These words, the words of truth, the words of life, they are words of life because they're not your words. They're the words of God. In conclusion, the power of a story. There's something about a story, isn't there? Paul uses his story here to bring clarity to the Galatians, right? There's something about a story that I could kind of information dump you guys about my life and kind of give you bulleted facts, but there's something about a story that sticks with you, right? When I was in Arkansas, I was going into a, what kind of restaurant? A Mongolian restaurant, and my bank called, said I charged how much? In where? Bangor, Maine. I told that story 30 minutes ago, and it was a quick little story, right? But there's something about story, the power of story that sticks with us. What greater story do we have than the story of Christ in our life? Paul is laboring through his story to, one, to reassure these Galatians, what I told you beforehand, that's the true gospel. Whatever they're telling you now, not right. Not true. Salvation is by God's grace through faith plus nothing. I love that the Bible is a redemptive story. The story is powerful, man. It's incredible. 
The gospel and all of its complexities can be shared with their simple, simple words. Simple words. So Paul, like Paul, Christians, today we have a similar story that can be shared with the world. Who were you before you met Christ? Who were you? Who were you? What happened whenever you encountered Jesus? What happened? How did you hear about him? How did you hear the gospel, the power of God, for the salvation of all who believe? What happened to your life after? That's your story. That's your testimony. That's, that can be shared with anyone. And no one can refute it because it's your story. Who were you before Christ? How did you come to meet him? And what happened after you met him? Our mission, church, put a capstone to bookend this text our mission is to receive the kingdom to announce the kingdom to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness to bear witness of his kingdom but our king builds his kingdom our king builds it matthew chapter 16 jesus says i will build my church and as we continue on in Galatians church what I want us to remember the simplicity of the gospel and that if we add anything to it like these Galatians were believing that is no longer the gospel let's pray